not, not with us. They weren't really feeling it today. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to be picking up uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of these that uh, I'm not sure that the chapter break was in the right place on this one. Uh, but in any case, we're, we're going to call it 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at the first four verses. And you may remember that last time I was up here, I was talking about how uh, we're going to talk about the real reason that we're gathering here today. The real reason we're gathering here today. If The title that I put on this one is The Importance of Intercession. The Importance of Intercession. So uh, now that we've found uh, 1 Timothy 2, I'm going to read the first four verses. We're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to look at it. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for, for your word. We thank you for the clarity in it, the explanations for why we do the things that we do. You don't leave us to guess. You are a mighty God. You are the only, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's none like you. We're here to lift up your name and to give you praise and to pray for all those that are around us as you command to pray for all men. Show us what you'd have for us. Guide us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if you caught it. Paul starts verse 4 right off with a, a phrase we've seen before. He says, I exhort therefore. We've already looked and we commented on that back in chapter 1 and verse 3. Uh, and we talked about it. I'm not going to go at length on it again. But I talked to you about how that, that phrase implies a sense of urgency. I urge you. This is supremely important. It's an encouraging call to action. I exhort, therefore. This is really important. By introducing the passage this way, we can tell that Paul's uh, about to describe a very high priority. And he emphasizes it even more with the next phrase. So he starts right off with, I exhort, therefore. And then the next thing he says, first of all, of absolute primary importance, pay attention to what I'm about to say. So what is that top priority? What is the most important thing that Paul's going to talk about? Prayer. And anybody who knows me knows that that's a pet topic of mine. So today, we're going to talk about prayer this morning. And we're going to talk about prayer next time I'm here, too. Because we're going to see, today we're talking about the importance of intercession. Next time, we're going to see our intercessor, Jesus Christ. Uh... So talking about prayer a little bit, let's, uh, this will be a little bit of bonus material here. Did you know that prayer in the Old Testament, of course we're studying a New Testament book right here, but let's start all the way back at the beginning. 
Prayer is probably the most repeated theme in the whole Old Testament. It could be argued that the whole book of Psalms is one prayer book. I mean, Psalms is a third of the Old Testament right there by itself. It's one prayer book. Prayer was the most important thing that happened in a Jewish synagogue as well. Vastly overshadowing the time that was spent reading the Torah to the congregation or anything else. Jesus called the temple a house of prayer. Remember when he made the whip and and drove the money changers out of the temple? He said, my father's house is a house of prayer. He didn't say it's a house of preaching. He didn't say it's a house of anything else. He said it's a house of prayer. Church history tells us that the early church meant more to pray than anything else, with comparatively little time spent to preaching. I often wonder when, when and why we flip-flopped our priorities, uh, and I'm not so sure that that was the right thing to do. Luke chapter uh, 11, verse 1, let's, let's go over there. Uh, we're talking about John the Baptist in that particular passage. Luke chapter 11. think this is kind of interesting. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, Jesus, that's Jesus praying, when he had ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Jesus is praying. The disciples tell Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Like John the Baptist has been teaching his disciples. John the Baptist was famous for teaching his disciples how to pray. Jesus is praying on the scene, and the disciples are asking, this is a real important focus. And when you read the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Luke, prayer is a major theme in Jesus' life as well. Did you know that there's more instances recorded of Jesus praying than of preaching? There's a lot more instances of Jesus praying than preaching. And Jesus went into a mountain alone to pray. And Jesus went down into such and such place to pray. And as he spent the night in prayer, Jesus spent more time praying than he did preaching. And I believe that in the church in America, and even we at Bethel Bible Church, can do a whole lot better in the area of prayer. So here, that was all bonus, like I told you. uh, Let's come back to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul speaks of the need for all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. Now, I want to break it down one part at a time. Uh, First of all, he mentions four different types of prayer. He says supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. They all have a place. Uh, Some of them overlap. Uh, But there are differences. And they all ought to play a part in both our private and our public prayer lives. Uh, Now, these aren't all the different types of prayer either. Any more than he describes all the different types of men. He says, I want you to give all kinds of prayer to all kinds of men. He gives four types of prayer. He gives a couple of types of, he, he mentions kings and all those who are in authority. He doesn't mention plumbers, he doesn't me- mention lumberjacks, he doesn't mention any other kinds of men. He's just given some examples. There are more kinds of prayer than just the four that we mention here. Just like there's more than kings and those in authority. 
Uh, he mentions supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. So the first one, supplications, uh, it's a Greek word, desis. It's used 18 times in the New Testament. Uh, might as well go to uh, Philippians chapter 4 right now, because uh, we're going to look at, look at that as a parallel passage here for a minute. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul writing to the Philippian church, uh, and he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He uses that word supplication there. Uh, it's usually used to describe making a request. It's a request being made from an inferior to a superior. And it's, in the New Testament, it's always used to refer to making a request to God to grant something. The second type that it mentions here is prayers. That's the Greek word prosuikos. That's used uh, more than any other time for any kind of description of prayer. It's used 36 times in the New Testament. Also, we see it in uh, Philippians 4 and verse 6, uh, where it says, be, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer. That's the word, prosuikos. It's the most generic word on this list. It refers to any kind of speaking to God. Any kind of speaking to God, whether you're praising Him, whether you're requesting something. Any time you're talking to God, it can be covered under this word. Your prayers. Intercessions. Uh, that's intuxis. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Uh, it's used here, and we're going to see the next one later on in uh, 1 Timothy. If you go to 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 to 5, it says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That word prayer is intuxis. It's intercession. If we're receiving something, we're to intercede. We'll break that down more when we get there. I don't want to steal my own thunder right now. Um, in, bo in both of these cases, it's referring to, it's praying to God in behalf of someone else. That's what intercession is. When I pray for you, or you pray for me, that's what we're doing. And finally, he says, giving of thanks to God. That's the Greek word eucharistos. Sounds like Eucharist, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, giving thanks to God. Uh, it's used 15 times in the New Testament. It shows up both in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, which we've already read, and in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4, which we also just read. It shows up in both of those. You can look up the other cases where these things are used. I'm not going to give you every single example. You can go ahead and check it out yourself. I gave grabbed the Philippians 4 and I grabbed the 1st Timothy 4 because they really show multiple types of prayer. Paul's in Philippians and in 1st Timothy tries to tell us we need to have a broad spectrum in our prayer life. Um, and uh, Eucharistus, it's talking about the expression of gratitude and of recognition for favors that have been granted. When you've seen God's grace in your life and you're so thankful for it, or someone else has been gracious to you if you're uh, talking about somebody else making a, something good that's happened to you and you're thankful for it. 
But notice that each of these different kinds of prayers are to God. That seems overly simplistic, maybe. Uh, but we've all seen people who pray, and they're not really talking to God. They're talking to the people around them. We've all seen examples of it, right? And that's not praying. That's not praying. At best, it's preaching. At worst, it's just flapping your lips. Unless God is the one and the only one that you are addressing, it is not prayer. You're not talking to people around you. You're not trying to encourage other people. What you are doing is you are talking to God. That's prayer. Only that is prayer. Yes. In intercessory prayer, us praying for other people is probably the most powerful thing we can do as believers. I can pray right here in Surrey, New Hampshire and impact somebody in Thailand. There's nothing else that I can do that can do that, that can have that far-reaching impact. We'll talk about that a little bit more in, in just a few minutes. Um, but remember, unless God is the one you're addressing, it's not prayer. The other thing that I can't help but notice is that these prayers are to be made to all men. Oops, <laughs> I just lost my First Timothy passage and I kept my finger in Philippians. Uh, yeah, these prayers are to be made to all men. Now, Paul's going to give us some more specifics in the next verse, verse 2. But for now, let's just think about all men and what that encompasses. That's a pretty broad net, isn't it? I want you to pray all kinds of prayers to all, for all men. All men, regardless of who it is. Now, we'll see as we go along, and more next week as well, that prayer impacts a very wide area. Verse 2 says that it can impact all that are in authority. That's pretty broad. Uh, and it can impact believers so that we can live in all godliness and all honesty. We'll get there in a little bit. But it can impact the people who are being prayed for, and it can impact the people who are praying. We're going to get there. Verse 4 says that it can play a role in all men coming to salvation and knowledge of the truth. That's We're going to get there when we get to verse 4. That's a pretty broad impact. Next week, we're going to see that verse 6 says that we should pray for all men because Christ gave himself for a ransom for all. Amen. Do you get a feeling that your prayers can have far-reaching impact? I don't know about you, but that inspires me to be a little bit more attentive in my prayer life. If I can have one thing that can really have an impact like this, my preaching to the handful of you right here, 
isn't really having that great of an impact. But my getting down on my knees and praying for somebody can have an awful lot of an impact. Verse 6 says, perhaps even towards salvation. We'll see that also in verse 4. So let's move to verse 2. Let's read verse 2 again. Here's who we should be praying for. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So here Paul gives some examples of who we ought to be praying for. For kings and for those in authority. Did you know that if we expect to reach the world with the gospel, we need to engage with them? Let's take a look at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. We all know it. Let's examine it a little bit here. Matthew 28, particularly verse 19. It says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We have to interact with them. We need to go, we need to teach them, we need to baptize them, we need to be teaching them in all things that God's commanded. That's interaction. But, as we do that, as we are interacting with them, some of the people that we're going to be uh, interacting with, we're going to be under the authority of various earthly leadership, aren't we? Let's look over to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. As we go through this world, there are people I have to pay attention to rules, have to pay attention to people who are in charge, whether it's company bosses or people's different protocol on what you've got to do and what you've got to say. But here's one interesting thing. Uh, Romans 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. That's you, that's me. We're all subject to higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. No matter what I may think of a city magistrate, or whatever I may think of a boss in a company, or no matter what I may think of our vice president currently, they're put in place by God. They have no authority that God didn't give them right now. That's something to consider. So, as we go about sharing the gospel, wherever we go, we need to engage with people. And we need to be praying for those people who are in authority. If only so that they don't put obstacles in our path, in the path of the gospel. Which sometimes they can, can't they? We see it all the time. Now the word king here can be a variety of positions. Don't get all hung up on the, well, we don't have a king. Uh, there's a few different, it's used in all kinds of different times on the, uh, New Testament. Let's look over to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, it's used to refer to the emperor. Uh, 19 verse 15. Oop, uh, sorry, I, that is the wrong reference. Um, I got the wrong reference. I, I, I apologize for that. Uh, but we, we see that uh, it can refer to an emperor or, uh, uh, let me see if I got this one right, Acts chapter 4. 
Acts chapter 4 and verse 26. It refers to a very minor character, yeah. Uh, making a quote here. And who by the mouth of his servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was a pretty small, pretty petty guy uh, in the Roman Empire. With the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. But he's listed under this category of kings of the earth. Pontius Pilate was counted amongst the kings. He was a pretty petty guy. So regardless of whether somebody is an emperor of the world at the time, or whether somebody's just a petty local leader, we ought to be praying for these folks. Why? I mean, they're kings. Why should I be praying for a king? Because I serve the king of kings. I serve their boss. I work for their boss. I'll pray for them. They wouldn't have any. We just read in uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, that they don't have any authority that my boss didn't give them. I work for their boss. Another thing to remember, uh, Proverbs 8 and verse 15 uh, says that, By me kings reign and princes decree justice. That's God speaking. Kings reign by my authority. Princes dispense justice by my authority. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of the water, he turns it whithersoever he will. Jesus himself, standing before Pontius Pilate, who we just talked about, said that in uh, John 19, verse 11, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. That was Jesus talking to Pontius Pilate. My Lord is above all other lords, no matter who they think they are, no matter what position they're in. My God is above them. They have their power because my boss gave it to them. And then as if that weren't enough, he gives another category. He says, and all that are in authority. That includes just about everybody on earth, doesn't it? Because everybody has some authority in one form or another. Parents over children, uh, bosses over regular workers. Everybody's got some kind of authority in their life. We ought not to be leaving anyone out of our prayers if we can help it. That's the, the lesson I have to take away on this. So why? Why are we to pray for all of these folks? Pray for kings. Pray for those in authority. We kind of hit on that a little bit, I said, because uh, I serve the king of kings. But this, Paul gives us another bonus on why. He says, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Well, I'd sure like to live a quiet and peaceable life. I'd like to live in all godliness and all honesty. Wouldn't that be nice for a change? It'd certainly be different from all the arguments that have been going on in Ephesus here with Timothy, all these false teachings and myths that are being spread. And it would certainly be different than we got the same sort of myths and false teachings and stuff going on in the world around us. I'd just like to have some quietness, some godliness, some honesty. See, 
what Paul says here, prayer for leadership is an antidote for the confusion of Timothy's day. And it's also an antidote for the confusion that we have today. Why do we have such confusion in the world around us? Why do we have such confusion in our own lives? I'd say because our prayer life stinks. This world is divided and confused. I sure would like to see some more quietness, some more peace, some more godliness, and some more honesty, wouldn't you? Paul says prayer is the answer. I think it's worth a try. I think it's worth a try. But there's another reason, and that comes in verse 3. This is why we should be doing this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You see what Paul's implying here? Proper prayer is a source of a good and acceptable life before God. It's what God wants us to be doing, having a proper prayer life. God likes it when we're praying properly. I can only assume that the opposite is also true, that God is not happy when we are not praying properly. And that's something else to think about, isn't it? That's something else to think about. If I, if I want God to be happy, what's good and acceptable is that I'm praying properly. God may not be that happy with me if I'm not praying properly. I think we can all buckle up a little bit better on this. Verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Talking about God, our Savior. Because it's well, all we get is a semicolon at the end of verse 3. Kind of broke the sentence up. It's a pet peeve of mine where they break verses and where they break chapters. I don't always think they do it in the right place. Uh, so Paul's continuing his explanation of why we ought to be praying for all men. Because God, our Savior, wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, before we get in too deep, does God expect all men to be saved? Does God expect all men to be saved? Well, the rest of the book makes it pretty clear that that will not happen. As we look through the rest of 1 Timothy, we're going to see that all men are not going to be saved. God doesn't have any unrealistic expectations. God does not expect all men to be saved. They should be. The, the concept that eventually all men are going to be saved is a heresy that the Universalist Church teaches. Uh, if you want to hear that taught every Sunday, you can go to the Universalist Church. That's what they teach. Uh, so what does he mean? If God doesn't expect all men to be saved, then what does he mean? We've got some thought-provoking stuff. I know it's a warm day. Uh, well, God would be pleased if all men were saved, but he already knows that not all men are going to be saved. Because we, ultimately, are the ambassadors to share the gospel, we need to share the gospel with all men, regardless of race and without uh, any regard to background either. We don't know who's going to be saved, so we have to share the gospel with everyone. And as part of that sharing the gospel comes praying for all men as well. Because as I say, there's a semicolon there. Our prayer life 
is important because God wants all men to be saved. We're going to expand on that more next time. See, we as Christians, and I, we as Christians in Bethel, I can say this because we see it every, every prayer Sunday when we get together to pray, we sometimes let our prayer life shrivel up till we're just praying for a very small group of people all the time, don't we? If we're honest, we don't pray, we pray about a handful of people, the same handful of people all the time, right? That doesn't sound like all men. Let's broaden our minds a little bit. Let's pray for someone you don't know, for instance. Uh, in the last few years that I've been working with Global Media Outreach, uh, that's really been happening to me an awful lot. If we reach out, we can watch God move. I challenge you to try it. I pray with Global Media Outreach for people I have never met. And then they report back to me on how God has influenced their lives. They've seen miraculous things happen. Broaden your mind a little bit. Expand your prayer life a little beyond the five or six people that you might pray for over and over. It's human nature. I do the same thing. Let me close with just one thought here, talking about God's passion to see all men saved. Because that's really the focus, and that's going to be our focus again next time when we get together, because we're going to see that uh, Christ was our Redeemer for all mankind as well. Uh, but God has a passion to see all men saved, as Paul mentions it here. Did you know that God always initiates the search for a sinner? God always initiates the search for a sinner. Nobody has ever come to God without God seeking him first. Not one person has ever come to Christ without God seeking him first. Let's take the rule of first mention, right? Who were the first people saved? I need answers on some of these. Who were the first people saved? Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were the first people saved. We're taking the law of first mention here. Let's back up and uh, go over the story. They ate the fruit. God had told them not to eat, and they fell, right? And then they all of a sudden realized that they were naked, right? And they went to God and explained to him, God, hey, we ate that fruit you told us not to, and now we realize we're naked. They explained to him everything that happened, right? No. They ran away. That's right. They, they ate the fruit, they uh, realized that they were naked, and they fled. What happened next? God came looking for the cowering, wretched, sniveling creature that's hiding in the bushes from him, right? That's right. And they ran away. And you know what? That's what happens to each and every one of us, isn't it? We don't go to God saying, hey, I screwed up. Can you make this right, God? God comes looking for us. Let's take another example. Let's take the example of Jonah. Jonah fled from God, and in a final act of fleeing from God, he basically committed assisted suicide by telling the sailors to chuck him over the rail. Right? That's what happened. It's a sea that no one's going to survive. Hey, would you guys just chuck me over the rail? And God, Jonah wasn't looking for God. 
But God watched out for Jonah the whole time. He sent a whale to eat him, to preserve him for three days till he learned a lesson. God, even when Jonah tried to take his own life, God still preserved him. I'll let you have the last word in a minute. Let me, let me finish this up. I can, do, I can come up with examples like this all day long, but I think you get the point here. God wants all men to hear the gospel and to get saved. Couldn't you and I at least pray toward that end? That's what Paul's saying here today. God wants all men to be saved. Can't you at least pray about it? Go ahead, Diane. Last word. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about that right now. I wasn't there. I didn't see it, uh, so I don't know whether it was a fish or a whale. No, I'm not gonna talk about it. I got no expertise in that. You mind if I close in a word of prayer? I think it's appropriate. So, Lord, we do thank you for for allowing us to be a part of your plan. We were talking earlier downstairs that you don't require that. But you allow us to be part of your plan. You are a gracious God. And you always come looking for us. You're mighty to save. You are God our Savior, as Paul says. We do ask that you'll bless the rest of this day as you've already blessed it. We ask that you'll show us how we can be more like you. Strengthen us to be more willing to pray and see the impact that you can have as your hand reaches around this world. I believe time is coming short. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.